As you know, we're in the concluding today our series on the environments of horizon. And if you look at the neighborhood environment on our website, you'll read this. It's good to live in a community where we help each other by using the resources of time, talent, and treasure that God has given each of us for that purpose. We want to get to know and serve our neighbors within our church, in our community, and around the world. I like what Pastor Jeff said a few weeks ago, we are Horizon Community Church, and community is our middle name. This idea of community or neighborhood or being neighborly isn't new to you as a church body, though, because today we start our 14th Royal Family Kids Camp. Yay. We're helping kids in the foster care system in Washington and Clackamas counties. James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. As a church, 14 years ago, you had the vision and you chose to share your time and your talent and your treasure with the foster kids in Washington and Clackamas counties. And you started the very first RFKC camp in Oregon. That's quite a vision to be the first. And I commend you on this vision and I say thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Through the years, you have helped over 520 foster care kids have a life changing week of camp where everybody is somebody and Jesus is all. You've given me the privilege to be a part of this camp. I've heard their horrible stories of abuse and neglect. I've laughed with them. I've cried with them. And I've just enjoyed the privilege of watching the faithful volunteers who go to this camp share the joy of having a loving heavenly father who can give them a hope and a future. After the message today, we're gonna to take an offering for RFKC, but right now we would like to commission these volunteers who are heading off to camp today. Many of them taking their vacation time from work to go and work harder than they've ever worked in their lives. It's gonna be a long week for them but they do it for the love of God and the love of these kids. They go to be neighborly and to share God with their neighbors. And I just wanna honor them. Would you clap for them? I want them to stand today and let's show them appreciation for what they do. I'm gonna ask them to stay standing because I just want, if you're near them, would you place a hand on their shoulder or stretch out an arm towards them? Um, we're gonna do the best thing we can do for this camp and that is pray and ask God uh, to intervene in this week and to be a, a special part of this camp. Dear Lord, we just call upon you and ask of you to be a part of this camp. Lord, would you bless these volunteers who are giving their time and their talent and their treasure.
Would you strengthen them and encourage them as they walk this week with these young children? Would you strengthen them and uplift them? Would you give them the right words to say at the right times? And would you change the lives of these kids? Would you help them to know you and get to know your Bible more this week, Lord? Thank you for the great things you're going to do and bless these volunteers and their families for the sacrifices they are giving to be a part of this camp. Thank you, God, for this great work that you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for your vision and your support of this camp and for um, Teen Reach Adventure Camps as well because as the kids move up and become teenagers, we don't want to leave them behind. We want to have a place for them. And so this body also supports track and I've heard great things about the two track camps that took place this summer. And you just continue to support and help and love. Community truly is your middle name. Let's pray for today's message. Lord, I thank you, God, for this word that you have given me about neighborhood. God, I pray that you would make us all better at being neighborly and that you would help each of us, God, to grow in you today. Thank you. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled, Neighborhood, the Place to Share Your Time, Talent, and Treasure. And many of you may know I am the children's pastor here, and I like to hang out with kids. So when I hear the word neighborhood, being the quirky person that I am and totally in love with kids' TV programming, (laughs) I automatically see puppets in my mind when I hear the word neighborhood saying, Who are the people in your neighborhood? They're the people that meet when they're walking down the street. They're the people that you meet each day. And I love Mr. Rogers. Yes. As he sings, won't you please be my neighbor? And I'm yelling at the TV, yes, I want to be your neighbor. Let me be your neighbor. Many of you may know that Mr. Rogers um, was an ordained minister. I got to read um, some little biography kind of clips on the internet this week from kids who attended uh, the church that he attended when he was doing the television show. They got the privilege of having Mr. Rogers come to their Sunday school classroom. He would pop in, as one uh, writer um, described, and he would sit in those teeny tiny toddler chairs and his knees would be up to his chin. And he would read them stories in Sunday school. It was also mentioned um, that Mr. Rogers had a favorite quote from St. Francis of Sisi, and the quote is this, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. In 1997, Mr. Rogers was presented the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Daytime Emmys, and they made this video montage for him at that award ceremony, and I'd like to share it with you. My grandfather's name was Mr. McFeely, and I always remember, he said to me, you've made this day a special day, Freddie, by just your being yourself, and that's always been with me. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood includes a much larger audience than children's television viewers. 
His core message, accept everyone for who they are, has won him universal acclaim. You're welcome in this neighborhood. Why in the world couldn't we use this thing called television for the broadcasting of grace through the land? Do you know that song that I sometimes sing called It's You I Like? Uh-huh. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you. Not the things that hide you. Not your fancy chair. That's just beside you. I do think that it takes a certain amount of courage to be able to tell his feelings. He's been liberated for a long, long time, almost as long as I've known him. And I think other men might like very much to be that way. We're all on a journey, each one of us. And if we can be sensitive to the person who happens to be our neighbor, that to me is the greatest challenge as well as uh, the greatest pleasure. Because if you're trusted and people will allow you to share their inner garden with them, what greater gift? At that award ceremony, when Mr. Rogers was presented with his Emmy, he immediately took the attention off of himself and evoked thanks for all the people who had made a difference in his life. And he stopped the Emmys and he made everyone be silent for 10 seconds and think of all the people who had made a difference in their lives. And that's what they did. If you watch it on YouTube, all these famous actors and actresses are bawling in the audience, thinking about the people who were neighborly to them, who made a difference. This idea of giving grace, of being neighborly, of honoring people more than you honor yourself, this idea didn't originate with Mr. Rogers. It came from the very heart of God and the lips of Jesus. Let's look at it in the Bible in the book of Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And yes, I'm a children's pastor, so I'm going to read you a Bible story. Here Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan a man who shared his time, his talent, and his treasure with his neighbor. Luke 10, 25. Then an expert on the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to get life forever? And Jesus said, What is written in the law? What do you read there? The man answered, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Also, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said to him, your answer is right. Do this and you will live. But the man, wanting to show the importance of his question, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered, as a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, some robbers attacked him. They tore off his clothes, beat him, and left him lying there almost dead. It happened that a priest was going down that road. When he saw the man, he walked by on the other side. This priest was well-versed in the law. He had read many times the part that says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But he made a choice that day to just walk on by and to do nothing. Continuing the story in verse 32, next a Levite came there, and after he went over and looked at the man, he walked by on the other side of the road. And this Levite too had the means within him, had the knowledge of God within him, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But he walked on the road and he just stopped and stared. He started a gaper's delay right there, the middle of the road. He's just staring. And then after a while, he just kind of shrugs it off and walks on by. Continuing the story in verse 33, then a Samaritan traveling down the road came to where the hurt man was. And when he saw the man, he felt very sorry for him. This, I tell you, is a talent. Having compassion for someone you've never met. It's a talent. If you look up talent in the dictionary, one of the definitions is a capacity for achievement or success. With American Idol and America's Got Talent and the Super Bowl and my favorite guy, Peyton Manning, our society sometimes relegates talent to musical and sports aptitude. And we kind of leave out some very important things that I think happen to be talents. What if we considered the fruit of the Spirit as talent? In Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, all capacities given to each of us by the Holy Spirit for our achievement and our success. Continuing the story in verse 34, the Samaritan went to him, poured olive oil and wine on his wounds and bandaged them. And here's another talent that's often overlooked, the first aid talent. <laughs> you know, mothers are supposed to be oozing in the first aid talent. They're supposed to have band-aids in every pocket and able to whip out a can of bacterial spray at any second. At the mention of blood, they're supposed to become stalwarts, ready to take on anything that comes their way. But I do not have this talent. <laughs> I have four children, and when they are sick or hurt, they run and they cry for that guy right over there. They need their daddy. They need their daddy because their mommy will faint and will be no help whatsoever. <laughs> I have been in many, many of an emergency room. 
broken arms and stitches, and every time the doctors and the nurses have to leave my poor, hurting children and come attend their mother who has turned white as a ghost and suddenly needs juice in a very cold rag. And oftentimes the kids will be totally mended and ready to go home, but the doctors will keep me behind because they're afraid I'm going to faint on my departure somewhere in the parking lot or I won't be able to drive home. But this man, he had talent for taking care of the sick. And not only that, he had a talent for taking time to take care of the sick. In verse 34, it says, Then he put the hurt man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he cared for him. I'm not sure where this man was going on this road, but he had a destination and a place to be, or he wouldn't have been on the road. Yet he sacrificed his time, and he took care of this man overnight. Back in the day when there was no cell phone to call the wife and say, I'm running late, honey. There was no email to say, you know, I'm delayed, I'm helping someone. He sacrificed his time, and he stopped what he was doing, and he chose to be neighborly and to help. Back in the story in verse 35, the next day the Samaritan brought out two coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of this man. If you spend more money on him, I will pay it back to you when I come again. This man had already given so much. He had already given his time and his talent. And here he assesses the situation and sees it's not going to be enough. And he pulls out his own money and he gives of his own treasure to make sure that this wounded man is brought to a place of healing. Jesus is suggesting here that even when we're doing good things for our neighbors, we could be doing more. He did more. This man helped more. Continuing in verse 36, then Jesus said, which one of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the robbers? The expert on the law answered, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, then go and do what he did. What about us? What about Horizon Community Church? Will we go and do what he did? Will we share our time and our talent and our treasure with our neighbors? There are three thoughts that I'd like us to take away from this story today. And the first one is take time to love your neighbor. In our story, the Good Samaritan, he took time to love his neighbor. It's often noted um, that during that time, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. They were not friendly to one another. That it wasn't politically correct for the Samaritan to help this Jewish man, but he chose to look over the prejudice of the day and help his neighbor. James 2, 7 through 9 says, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking 
the law. I recently read an article on CNN.com Living entitled 15 Reasons Why Mr. Rogers Was the Best Neighbor Ever. And I'd like to read to you reason number six. He was genuinely curious about others. Mr. Rogers was known as one of the toughest interviews because he'd often befriend reporters, asking them tons of questions, taking pictures of them, compiling an album for them at the end of their time together, and calling them after to check in on them and hear about their families. He wasn't concerned with himself and genuinely loved hearing the life stories of others. And it wasn't just with reporters. Once on a trip up to a PBS exec's house, he heard that the limo driver was going to wait outside for two hours. So he insisted the driver come in and join them, which flustered the host. And on the way back, Roger sat up front. And when he learned that they were passing the driver's home on the way, he asked if they could stop and if he could meet his family. According to the driver, it was one of the best nights of his life. The house supposedly lit up when Rogers arrived, and he played jazz piano and bantered with them late into the night. Further, like with reporters, Rogers sent him notes and kept in touch with the driver for the rest of his life. Here is an example of someone who took genuine affection, who had genuine love for other people. I'm sure Mr. Rogers was a very, very busy man. Yet he took time to honor people, to hear their stories, to sit down with them. This essence of being neighborly, this getting to know people, if you look at the biblical record, it was modeled by Jesus. Because after all, Jesus was the guy who went up to Zacchaeus, that terrible tax collector who was cheating people on their taxes, sitting in a sycamore tree. Jesus walked up to him, and what did he do? He invited himself over for dinner. He said, I'm going to your house today, so get out out of that tree. And he sat down with Zacchaeus and all his friends and all his family, and he honored them with his presence, and he just had dinner with them. If you remember the story, the religious people of the time were quite upset about this. They were griping and whining and complaining that he had gone, they said, to be a guest of us, notorious sinner. It's the words they use in the Bible. They were upset about it. But Jesus honored Zacchaeus with his presence. And at the end of that dinner, Zacchaeus stood up and said, here and now, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount I took. Salvation came to Zacchaeus' house that day. Romans 12, 9 through 10 says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. What was the life-changing difference in Zacchaeus' life? Jesus was present. 
He's, he honored him with his presence. Jesus didn't gather a bunch of protesters to make torch signs and stand outside of his house talking about the injustice he was inflicting upon society by stealing taxes and calling him names and calling his character into question. No. Jesus honored him with his presence and befriended him. And that made the difference. As you honor people with your presence and befriend them, as you have Jesus in your life, his presence will make a difference in their lives. Romans 13, 8 through 9. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Take time to love your neighbor and you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Second point today is use your talents to do good things for your neighbors. Romans 12, 6 through 10, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Notice in verse six that it does not say, God has given some of you gifts. And it doesn't say, God has given you gifts to use only on Tuesdays when you feel like it. Or maybe a Sunday. It says, God has given each of us certain things that we do well. Each of you has something that you do well. A tool, a talent. Something you're supposed to be using to do good for your neighbors, for your family, for your workplace, for your church, for your community, for your world. See, sometimes we get hung up here because we look at that word talent and we think we have to be Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's a great guy. He's made a little bit of a difference in my life, but... I know some people who have far greater talent as far as I'm concerned than being able to throw a touchdown. There's people like Mary Black in South Bend, Indiana. She wanted to help Sunday school, but she didn't have the gift of teaching. But she did have the gift of baking cookies. And some of you might be thinking baking cookies is not that important in life. But in South Bend, Indiana, it meant a lot. She, Mary Black would don our resource room for Sunday school teachers with huge piping hot plates of homemade baked cookies and the aroma and the smell. When you walked into the resource room, everyone wanted a cookie, so everyone wanted to teach Sunday school <laughs> in South End, Indiana. Not only that, if you had a really bad morning, if you couldn't find that shoe that was hiding under the bed, and you were 20 minutes later, you had a kid who was upset and crying all the way to church. Something about a nice warm cookie in your belly made all the difference in the world. And then you were ready to go into your classroom 
and teach kids about Jesus, baking cookies for Jesus. Now that's a talent. I think of Kyle Rose in that same church in South Bend, Indiana. Young kid, but he was frustrated. See, we would have Kids Crusade back in those days. We'd have an offering contest, boys against girls. And year after year, the girls won because girls rule and boys drool. <laughs> and of course, if the boys won, Jeff would get to put a pie in my face. And if the girls won, I would get to throw a pie in Jeff's face. Well, Jeff and Kyle were very tired of Jeff getting the pie in his face. Year after year, these girls kept winning the contest. But Kyle got old enough to push a lawnmower. And in the deep heat of an Indiana summer, he spent many an hour pushing lawnmowers and asking people for money to push that lawnmower in their yards. As a matter of fact, I called home to Illinois yesterday and the heat index was 118. Yeah, not fun to mow the lawn in Illinois and Indiana in the summer. But Kyle did it. And the last day of the offering contest, as usual, the girls were far ahead. But Kyle walked down that aisle with his tithe check from his new lawn mowing business, and he put $500 in the boys' offering. And they finally won the contest, and I finally got the pie in my face. A young man pushing a lawnmower giving his money to the Boys and Girls Missionary Crusade. That's talent. And then I think of Mike Hayes, our church in Indianapolis. Mike had a very special talent. He was just a teenager, middle child. His older brother Aaron had had a horrible accident when he was a year old. He fell down the stairs in a walker and had permanent brain damage and could never mentally get above a one-year-old. So at 19, Mike's older brother Aaron was still wearing a diaper, still drinking a bottle, still had not learned how to talk, yet he was a full-grown 19-year-old young man. His mother was tiny and frail, had a very hard time lifting up Mike to put him in his bed or get him out of bed or to help him sit up or stand up. Here's Mike looking at his mother struggling, changing Aaron's diapers. And he would just step in at a moment's notice and say, Mom, I got it. I can change this one for you. You go sit down and rest. Mom, why don't you and Dad go out for dinner? I can take care of Aaron today. But not only that, Mike's younger brother was born with Down syndrome. And Mike loved Nathan. Mike walked with Nathan. Mike befriended Nathan. They did everything together. Mike would bring him to kids' church, and Nathan would have so much fun. Taking care of your brothers, taking care of your mother, now that's a talent. Don't 
spend your days just living for yourself. Romans 2, 6 through 8 says, He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. It's not easy to put others first. Sometimes it's far easier to live for yourself. But if you don't become weary and don't get tired of doing what is good, there will be a reward for you. In Galatians 6, 9 through 10, it says, we must not become tired of doing good. We will receive our harvest of eternal life at the right time if we do not give up. When we have the opportunity to help anyone, we should do it. But we should give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. Jeff and I have been in the ministry full time for over 16 years now. I'm sad to say that through the years I've seen some people get tired of doing good and give up. Life gets stressful. But our human instinct when the stress rises is to start dumping things off the to-do list. And unfortunately, sometimes we choose helping others or volunteering in a ministry. We choose to dump that off the list. And when we make that choice, it's true, it does bring some relief to our stress but it limits your harvest. It limits you from doing good. And in verse 10, it gives special attention to doing good for those who are in the family of believers. We're sitting here in what we like to call our living room because we're family. What are we doing for each other? What good are we doing when we come to this place we call the living room? There's things we do for ourselves, like some of you might get a cup of coffee, which I just totally do not understand. Awful stuff. It's awful. And some of you may get a couple donut holes and a muffin or two, and you might enjoy meeting a friend or two. You're going to do that for yourself, and that's a good thing. And you're going to sit here and at some point, you're going to hear something from the Bible, and you're going to learn, and you're going to grow. And that's a good thing. But while you're here in this living room, what are you going to do for others? What are you going to do for your neighbor? Have you heard of the 20-80 rule? That idea that 20% of the people in a typical church do 80% of the work? Obviously, it changes from church to church, and every church has a different look. But every church seems to have a core volunteer group of really dedicated people without whom it's hard to imagine the church even functioning. And then there's the other 80% who, for 
for whatever reason, just kind of stroll in on a Sunday morning and stroll right back out and never get involved beyond attending. There's a lot of great ministries here at Horizon. And they take people, volunteers, they need them to exist. Now, I'm selfish, you know, being a children's pastor. <laughs> I know I need volunteers. Um, I know children's ministries very well. It takes, and to run bare minimum, uh, the classrooms we need to have here on a Sunday morning, it takes 48 volunteers a Sunday. In my dream world, I'd have 60 to 80, and we'd be doing all kinds of crazy, fun stuff. But if you just take that, and then you think about adding to that street to seat, and the worship band, and the tech team, and youth, and college, and singles ministries, and shepherding groups, and life groups, and women's ministries, and... Oma and all the, all the other fantastic things we do here, RFKC and track. You think about the number of people it takes to make this horizon world go round. You look at the rosters of these ministries and you'll see names that appear on four to five different lists, that core group of volunteers. They're being neighborly. They're making your Sunday morning experience better. They're giving of themselves to do good for you. But what are you doing? What is your faith prompting you to do in this place? 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 to 12 says, So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of the Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. God will enable you to do the good things that your faith prompts you to do. And as you choose, as you choose to follow through with the prompting, not only do you honor God, but you will be bringing honor to yourself. Point number three, share your treasure with your neighbor. We saw in the story that Jesus told about how the Samaritan, he pulled out his two coins and he gave it to the innkeeper and he asked him to continue uh, taking care of this man. And he shared of his own treasure. Second Corinthians 9, 8 through 10 says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. This summer, we took our kids to Shampooey State Park for the very first time and we got to check out the interpretive center there and hear all about the life of Robert Newell. And it was very fascinating this man 
and his life. And I want to read a little bit about him here. Uh, It said he served ably and with distinction during all of Oregon's early growth, and Mr. Newell helped draft all three early constitutions and was a wealthy, successful businessman and a popular civic leader who often entertained at his home. Newell owned a large farm on a high spot near the town of Shampui, and on December 2nd, 1861, the Willamette River rose 55 feet above its summer stage, sending a flood over 20 feet deep across the town. The residents evacuated to the Newell House, one of the few structures high enough to be spared. The flood destroyed nearly everything in the town. The Newells housed and fed some 200 people until new housing could be arranged, nearly bankrupting themselves. They chose to give their own treasure, and it nearly bankrupted them. But we're still today in a little museum and an interpretive center in a state park hearing of their good deed. Why? Because it made the difference in someone else's life. 200 people were spared and helped and encouraged and given a dry place to sleep and food to eat. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 13, He will make you rich in every way so that you can always give freely. And your giving through us will cause many to give thanks to God. This service you do not only helps the needs of God's people, it also brings many more things to God. It is a proof of your faith. Many people will praise God because you will pay the good news of Christ, the gospel you say you believe, and because you freely share with them and with all others. He will make you rich in every way. I remember when I finally figured out in life what rich in every way really means. I was standing in a makeshift kind of tent in Kingston, Jamaica. I was 15 years old. And I had gone to Jamaica thinking I was a very poor person. My, that year, my parents uh, had gone through bankruptcy and we had lost our house and our car. And we ate brown beans for breakfast, lunch, and dinner many a time. And we didn't have a lot. So I went there thinking I was poor. I stood on that stage because we were asked to share our stories. And the, the director wanted me to share my story of poverty Um, because he thought it would resonate with the Jamaican people. And me being the big quirky dork that I am, (laughs) I cannot sing, and I have no rhythm. You have to know this about me. I torture your children every week upstairs singing to them. I cannot sing. And I decided to put my testimony to rap. Yeah. In a Jamaican church. <laughs> where they all had rhythm. <laughs> As a matter of fact, part of the service, they did these really cool dances and stuff, and they had all this neat rhythm and drums and all kinds of fun stuff. And I get up there and I rap my testimony. 
about my poverty. I am so thankful that it was before the days of cell phones because you know the kids on the team would have been recording that. And I would be watching that today on YouTube. <laughs> I am so glad no one had a cell phone. But as I stood there looking at the people of Jamaica, seeing their houses made of tin and cardboard, the fact that they didn't have clean running water in their home, I held little babies who were terribly sick. And I looked across at these people and I felt rich in every way because I got to meet them and I got to know them and their stories. Not only that, but I had this Jesus who had been with me through all my life's journeys up to that point because I was lucky enough to be a bus kid and I never remember not knowing God. I've always known God, and I've always known that He's loved me. I had loving parents and neighbors at church and in my community who were taking care of us. They were taking care of us, and I was rich in every way. And I came home still to that poor situation, but I never felt poor again. Because I figured out rich in every way has nothing to do with money. It happens, it has to do with this Jesus and this thought of neighborhood and having this community of people living together, helping one another. First Timothy 6, 18 through 20. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Use your money to do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous to those in need. Always be ready to share your time and your talent and your treasure with your neighbor.